1: are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help
2: you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you and courtesy of Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We hope to entertain you for the next three hours, uh, including an an interview with Richard Petrie uh, coming up very shortly. Of course, former black cap, uh, he's a SENZ cricket commentator as well. He's kept a very close eye on the series against India. Prospects for the World Cup uh, towards the end of the year. What uh, did New Zealand have to do better? They got a hiding over the weekend. That wasn't good. Hopefully just a one-off. We'll have a cricket update uh, at 9.25. Talk to uh, one Butcher Castles. Butcher Castles, of course, from the Waikato Racing Club. He's the uh, general manager there, or CEO. And he's also, um, of course, a happy man because uh, he was a part owner in... Tokyo Tycoon that took out the, the two-year-old Caracamillion uh, race on Saturday at Pukakui Park. So Butch will be with us at 9.30 to talk uh, quite a bit of racing actually, uh, as well as uh, that win. Special indeed. Uh, just after 10 o'clock, uh, Jacob Spoonley uh, will be with us. Of course, uh, he's a Sky Sport analyst, former all-white goalkeeper. Uh, not a bad weekend for the Phoenix. Men's and women's team having wins over the weekend. Football ferns had their second outing against the USA. And some EPL action over the weekend. Panel this morning will be uh, Jamie Wall and Mark Watson. Uh, and of course, uh, after 11 o'clock, we have to start talking some tennis. We're into the second week, the serious week of the uh, Australian Open Tennis championship and a lot of big names have played and gone simple as that brett phillips sen tennis uh, commentator will be with us then uh, around about uh, 25 past 11 we'll take some uh, audio highlights of action over the weekend that the, the lads have uh, put together uh, and we'll have a stump smithy of course uh, around about 11 30 um, and then uh, we'll have the handover just before midday for the afternoon show
4: Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon.
3: Well, it's pretty obvious to me that New Zealand cricket have to get down on their hands and knees and beg Trent Bolt to be available for the 50-over World Cup in India come October and November. He has to be reunited with his old sparring partner, Tim Southey, to lead the new ball and death bowling operation. Now, we've seen uh, what those waiting in the wings offer after their few appearances on the stage proper. It's, as they say, a no-brainer. Bolton, Southy demand respect and caution. Ferguson, Shipley, Tickner and co. have far from earned that so far. The spin trio of Braceful Santner and Sodi will do a job, two of whom in a genuine all-round role, but will be less effective if the new ball has been walloped early. And at home, there's an element of concern to it. Rears its ugly head every 12 months. Why is it that they can damn near sell out a match between aged All Blacks and aged cricketers, managed by pensioners, but there is very little interest in a competition proper involving our genuine talent of the future, i.e. the Super Smash. How can they fix it? Get some oomph into the deal. They run it against the Big Bash, the UAE and South African leagues, it's doomed. Our best players will not be here. They'll rightfully chase what cash there is on offer and if they can get a deal overseas, rather than play for a pittance here. And effectively, New Zealand cricket and its selectors will be choosing squads out of overseas engagements a la New Zealand football. They have to find a sugar daddy, a sponsor who can stump up some real money, follow it on after the big bash, get some Aussie talent over here, play it midweek away from super rugby, or consign it to division three, because right now it's in division two. An eight wicket win for India in the second one day international over the weekend has the Black Caps reeling ahead of the third and final uh, ODI and indoor tomorrow night starts nine o'clock uh, our time uh, setting a target of 109 to defend is a tough ask and the bowling effort were unable to die- deny the quality on show by the Indians. So can the Black Caps do better for the third game and uh, when their attention shift to the T20 series can they spark up as well? online with us now is a former black cap and scnz cricket commentator richard petrie peaches good morning to you
5: good morning ian nice to speak to you again
3: nice to speak to you too sir um uh, they were almost uh, scraped by in the first one day international which was a very high scoring affair but in the second it was uh, pretty awful um and Without token efforts from Phillips and Bracewell and Santner, it's Michael Bracewell. They could have been even worse. What happened in game two? Oh,
5: I think look, it was an outstanding bowling performance by the two Indian opening bowlers and well, everybody else that came on for that matter. Um, they just bowled. I thought magnificently. Uh, on, a, on a, you know, they said in their commentary. i was just reading through some of it. They said it wasn't that good a w- uh, helpful a wicket to the quickies, but they were just on their lines, on their length. Um, we saw that series in Pakistan. You know, playing India and in India at the moment is a big step up from playing Pakistan and Pakistan. And at the end of the day, it was just an outstanding. It's just one of those games, Smithy. You have them every now and again, and you've got to, you've just got to say, well, bowled India. Um, it's going to happen occasionally. We've got to be better. But but that said, it was an outstanding bowling lineup. I am a wee bit worried about the batting. I mean, the numbers that the top order batting are or putting together um, don't look anything flash. When, you, when you've when you got to rely on Bracewell coming in at number seven to hit 140 to get you close, um, that's a wee bit of a worry. But um, yeah, it's one of those games I mean, India played particularly well.
3: It's a, a very interesting point you make about the top of the batting because uh, Finn Allen uh, was a name that was uh, put forward and they hang their hat on his hook, to be fair. They said to Martin Gutto, mm. time's up, Um, Finn Allen, you're our boy but from that point onwards I'm not quite sure yet, Richard
5: Yeah, no, he's still a work in progress and you see some of the other young guys coming in, Shipley I mean, he looks, you know, anyone that's that tall and he's 135 and uh, I'm pleased to see them bringing them in Frankly, there's a lot of 30 year olds you know, that test series in Pakistan, I think, for the two tests, I don't think they had a single player under 30 and that really worries me. Um, it's great to, you know, you, they, they did have a very good batch of players and, and one of the best sort of uh, sort of groups of players maybe ever in New Zealand history. And obviously winning that, you know, the World Test Championship was fantastic. But I, I think New Zealand peaked at that point, And from now we start, we're going to see, I think anyway, a slight decline as these guys just get older. And I just think we've got to start bringing these young guys in—the Finelands, the Shipleys. Um, we've, you know, you just can't keep playing with a team of thirty because you're going to end up like the West Indies did, where they went from Courtney Walsh and Kirtley Ambrose, and then you know, they just got dumped into the doldrums for, well, they, you know, to some degree they they still still are, and it worries me that New Zealand will, all of a sudden. Lose this team of thirty-year-olds; they'll all go within two or three years, and, and you know, we become the sort of the West Indies of world cricket, and that's my concern. So I think they've just got to start yeah. bringing these guys in.
3: It's a genuine concern, and I take it on board. Um, I, I, I'm looking a little bit more uh, short-term with these questions uh, about the bowling talent. Can we um, yep. compete? Can we be a serious option in the and T- the World Cup? coming up in India without Trent Bolt and uh, the bolt Saudi combination, can we?
5: Uh, well, I think it's going to be tough, uh, but you always can. New Zealand seems to be a team that, you know, when they're focused, they do work out how to bowl when they're, when they're given the time and they're given the confidence and they've they've got a decent build-up. So I'm going to say yes, they can we're good tournament team we're a good tournament team, and we always have been but but it's going to be tough they're going to have to really think and New Zealand teams do one of the things that marks the New Zealand teams of late is this that, that, that they're led by some smart cricketers so while they may not have the raw talent that the india and and the Australia has, um, they can often make that gap up by by playing smarter not not harder
3: right okay uh, so we're looking at uh, hopefully we can. I am hoping that Trent Bolt will make himself available. I'm not over optimistic about that. Now let's look at um you, you mentioned Shipley. Um Ferguson, is Lockie Ferguson a bit of a worry? He seems to be going for plenty.
5: He does, but he's been around long enough and we've we've seen him we've seen him perform well in the short form cricket for a number of years. Uh it, when you bowl that as quick as he does, sometimes that, that first one day where they all went for eights and nines. I, I just think India's Indians playing on those fast Indian track, well, you know, fast outfields and it looked like a short boundary the way the ball was going to it. Um, uh, no, I'd back him. He's, he's, he's kind of been a proven performer. So I'd certainly back him. I, I think Shipley looks interesting. I think he he's a bit of an unpolished diamond. He's bowling at 135, which is handy, and he's letting it come down from a hell of a height. But it'd be nice if he was shaping it away a wee bit more consistently. Um So, no, I'm not worried about Ferguson. He'll be right.
3: Okay. um, All eyes on Jamison, then. Made a a bit of a comeback over the weekend. All eyes on him?
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does worry me sometimes because in the one-day games, he he can get collared. He seems to be a bit of a red ball bowler, doesn't he? But, um, yeah, another top talent who, if he gets it right, can knock sides over, so... Uh, yeah, let's hope he gets fit as quick as possible. You know, who knows? I, I don't know. I, I just think if these guys click and come together, which they can do, then we're always a contender in the World Cups. Um, just, just because we seem to play them quite well. But uh, man, there's a wee bit of polishing that needs to go on.
3: Right. Let's look at um, some of the, the the batting side of things. Um, we, we just talked briefly about Finn Allen, who's currently averaging 32 from his 16 one-day internationals. Uh, higher score on this uh, is important too because, of course, we're talking about subcontinent conditions for the World Cup. Higher score is 40 mixed with 29-1, 25 and a duck. So a bit of an issue there. Conway, no problem there?
5: Oh, I don't think so. I think he's, he's world-class, isn't he, day in, day out. So, uh, you know, form, form is temporary, class is permanent. That's what they said about great batch before the... Before your World Cup, Smithy and and, the, and Martin Crowe was right.
3: <laughs> right. Okay. The one that is of interest to me is how do you use Glenn Phillips? The, to me, Glenn Phillips is probably the most exciting homegrown talent yeah. we've had for quite some time. But how are we using him um, in fifty-over cricket, in particular? Are we using him right?
5: Uh, I'd probably like to see him go higher up the order. You know, maybe he's a he's a. Brendan McCallum, but get him up there and give him a, a chance to make as much damage as possible. That might be uh, that might be your magic move, you know, but like, you know, opening the bowling with Patel or something like that. I mean, he looks a good player. Uh, is he wasted down there? That's the question. I think he probably is. What do you think, Smitty?
3: Yeah, I, look, I, I like to see devastating players these days. I think the game's progressing at a, a rate of not some... I think you've got yeah. to encourage those kind of players um, who are prepared to take risks and, and use them early on. I mean, the old adage, uh, you mentioned uh, the late Martin Crowe before, um, and uh, his adage was, uh, the you know, the best, most effective players should effectively face mm. the most deliveries. You know, it's not, a, it's not an out- right. outrageous thought, really. And I think you're right. Yeah. I think he's either fixing a problem when he comes in or it's too late for Glenn Phillips.
5: That's right. And... He, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, McCullum, you know, his attitude was, well, I'll go and open. I'm the most devastating player we've got. I'm going to go out there and open. Um, I'm going to come off one time out of three, and the one time out of three will win that game. He actually ended up doing it more than that. Um, but that was his attitude. Oh, you know, if I can win one game out of three, then that's a good result. Um I mean I guess they're doing that with Finn Allen and saying, There you go, you've got a free licence, win us one game out of three but um yeah, like you say, give Glenn Phillips as many balls and uh if, if he if he doesn't come off and Finn Allen doesn't come off, you've you've got Conway and Mitchell and uh, Latham and you've got some talent there and you've still got Michael Bracewell if you're gonna play him towards the end. So definitely you you you've just got to um you've got to attack, don't you?
3: Do do you um, follow the Super Smash uh, very closely over here, Richard? And, and um, why doesn't it seem to work effectively from a marketing point of view? From an all, uh, yeah, a, a point, yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, why is there very little interest in it from the outside, anyway? Yeah, it's a good
5: question, isn't it? I mean, England's big, and India's, you know, the IPL's big, and the I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they don't import the big money players, and they've done that before, and I don't know if I agree with that either. Bringing over Sean Tate and Brett Lee and paying them $40,000 to play five games, I'm not sure that's the best use of your money. Um, Unless they are bringing in big crowds, but but I don't think they did. Um, I don't know. I'm a marketing guy, Smithy. It's all about your offer, and... I just maybe maybe there's just the, the the local cricketers are not household names the way maybe the Aussie uh cricketers are at the next level and the product is just not appealing enough or shiny enough um for the public but I couldn't say I know 100% you so don't know I don't know what you can add to it or take away to to get the crowds there I'm going today to the uh the Wellington game Yeah um there's a Heath Davis has come over, uh, and there's a '90s sort of uh, you know former Firebirds players having a sort of a reunion down there. But I'm not going I'm not sure that's going to add add to the crowd too much.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I wonder about it because you know it's such an important part of of the landscape of cricket yes. these days. Yet we seem to be you know falling way behind. Now you get these leagues in Australia, the Big Bash. Who, you know, it's very well supported, very well promoted. You've got the uh, South African one going on at the moment, the UAE one going, and I, I sort of mentioned it a wee bit before. We're going to, I think, get to the stage because all of those teams, franchises, are going to need yeah. players. Um, not not yeah. necessarily marquee players, but nuts and bolts players. They'll be coming to us, mm. and, and ours will just get. I think can increasingly lost. Yeah.
5: Well, does it does it need to be? I mean, you know. It's like our stadiums, we don't have the the s c g and the m c g but what we do have is our nice little grass you know grass embankments and things like that and I don't know if we can match those countries that have that sort of money, but maybe we can find our own way and just make them very good cricket nurseries um you know to find and develop players. Maybe they're not the high spectacle um tournaments where everyone's making a million dollars. Um, but the local players are getting to play. They're not getting pushed out by international players. And it's a good feeder tournament, albeit not not as glamorous, but it's just a really good tournament if you can keep enough players. So we just can't compete with those big countries for that type of thing. So we've just got to make sure it's something else that works for us.
3: Mm, good point. Um, now, coming up, of course, I think is the showpiece of our summer, which will be Brendan McCullum's England side coming here for a couple of test matches. How uh, mm. how are we going to combat um, the rate that England want to play?
5: Well, <laughs> produce some green wickets, I suppose. Um, yeah, doesn't McCullum have the mightest touch, doesn't he? It just you, you sort of think that, uh, oh, you know, it's a great idea and we'd all love to play that way, but you'll come a cropper. And, and we kind of thought that with New Zealand and they went through that World Cup and smashed everybody until the final, and, and now he's doing it with India, uh, England. Um, how do you stop them? Well, how do you always stop a guy who plays a lot of shots? I, I guess you bowl good lines and lengths, and you try and hold on to it, and you, 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 know, you, you stack the odds in your favour by bowling in the right place. Maybe you make the, the, the tracks a little bit greener, um, so that a slightly more defensive mindset is the smartest way to bat. Um, and, and hope that they all, they're all they all out for 108 in the, in the 15th over playing the big <laughs> shot.
3: Last question for you this morning. Man-cad or no man-cad? I've
5: always been a big man-cad. <laughs> um, you used to get a lot of my one-day wickets that way. Um, <laughs> I got five in one season for Wellington in the Shell Cup. Um, we did call them all back, but um, no, I'm. I think, I think it's highly hypocritical if you if you're going to get a, a batsman, you're going to give a batsman out stumped by one inch, and yet the uh, the batter is taking a foot to back up to try and steal a run off you. Um, I think stay in your crease batter. I mean, uh, yeah. So I'm all for it. I, I think batsmen given a w why, why would you? Why would you give them a? Why do you give them warnings? Do you give them warnings if you if you you know, would you give someone a warning if you stump them, Smithy? You go, Listen, I'll give you one warning, but next time next time you're out stumped.
3: <laughs> no, good point. I wouldn't. Absolutely right, No, I wouldn't do that. Um it's an interesting it's an interesting one. I I can just see a punch up and Onslow Junior Cricket one morning that's all it's not the kids having a punch up my, a couple of fathers will be um, but oh, I, 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 right. I can just see it looming at some point. Anyway, hey, Peach, it's always great to catch up with you, thanks for your viewpoint loving your commentary on SENZ and uh, thanks for your time this morning mate
5: Thanks Matthew, pleasure
3: yes. Richard Petrie there with his thoughts um, and uh, he's uh, not overly concerned at this point, he thinks uh, we'll always um, when it comes to World Cups we find a way uh, which is encouraging. I'm not quite so optimistic at the moment, but uh, there you go. 9.22 here on SCNZ.
1: Service needs to help you
2: succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. James <laughs> O'Neill, He's bolded! Smithy's cricket update, thanks to Razine,
1: New Zealand's most trusted paint brand.
3: Yeah, focusing on women's cricket this morning and this little segment, the Otago Sparks have continued their love affair with Nelson Saxton Oval after taking a 37-run one-day victory over the Central Hinds yesterday, uh, backing up Saturday's Super Smash win over the same team and their twin Halliburton-Johnson Shield wins in October uh, 2021 when the teams uh, first met at the venue. Just days away from her 24th birthday opening bat, Bella James got an early present and she posted her maiden century in either format for Otago Sparks reaching 101 of 124 balls 120 balls actually in a powerhouse 180 run opening wicket stand with the veteran run machine Kate Ibrahim 81 off 119 talked about her the other day uh, Caitlin Blakely went past her previous one day best haul of four for 48 with four for 45 was ably supported by legspinner Sophie Aldershaw's three for 45 as they wrapped up the victory in the 47th over. The wind pushed the Sparks up to equal points, uh, with Northern Districts on the points table. Now just two behind Wellington Blaze and six points behind leaders of Canterbury Magicians with four rounds in hand and a maximum of five points available per match. Only the top two teams will progress to the National Halliburton-Johnson Shield Grand Final, and that will be on March the 4th. The Sparks, of course, are the defending champion. 9.29 here on SENZ. I think we'll take an early break and go to the news with Araha. balance of power and last of all Tokyo Tycoon they head for home. The two year old scamper for the million dollar hamper and the pacemaker is Ulanova. hugs the rail, led by two Ethereal Star getting a run through and behind it. Further out then is impending the bell and then came, she turns heads running on further out Tokyo Tycoon is running on as well with Trobian. It's Ulanova in front, Ethereal Star's two lengths away. Out wide running on now we've got Tokyo Tycoon, Ulanova wobbly, Ethereal Star, Tokyo Has won the Star. That was a staggering performance from any age horse, I've got to say. But when you've got a two-year-old in a big race of that nature, uh, coming from last on the turn and weaving its passage through um, under the guise of uh, Jockey Craig Zaki, a hell of a run, which I'm sure uh, great, greatly impressed and uh, greatly pleased uh, my guest this morning in terms of racing. Andrew Butcher-Castles. Butch, good morning to you. Where does that rate for you in terms of your history in the, in the game?
6: Yeah, biggest thrill, Ian. Uh, never get sick of listening to that call and just watched it again this morning, to be honest. And uh, look, yeah, an, an amazing thrill. And I said to someone this morning, if everyone got an opportunity just once in life to experience that, there wouldn't be enough car parks at Caraca in the next week because uh, everyone would want to be a part of it. You... We were part of it a couple of years ago
3: with your son, uh, Jared, weren't you? And, uh, yeah, no, just simply amazing. It was a great run, Butch. Uh, at about the 700, a long straight at Pukakui Park, you drew wide and everyone, and it was an interesting story, this, because we did the barrier draw here live, as you well know, on this radio station, and as soon as Tokyo Tycoon uh, drew the, the, the 14 gate, everyone said, well, that's that gone. Opie said, I don't want a bar of it. Uh, and the betting actually franked that as well. Uh, but obviously a lot of people didn't lose faith in it
6: no you're right and and it was uh deflating when he did come up with the bad gate but it seemed to work out well i don't think he was taken back by design i think he stumbled out of the gates and then Zaki rode a pretty cool race from there saved some ground around the corner and then picked the path through them as you said he did get very cold in the market got out to about six dollars from being the favorite but then very late in the piece, he was smashed, and in fact, I think even ran tote favourite in the finish, paying three dollars eighty. So, probably um, some of the big corporate money uh, came for him, and money out of Australia into the Co Mingle tote pools came for him as well. The win on uh, Boxing Day was um, first class, and uh, look, uh, a few of us didn't lose face so that was really quite nice to him.
3: Yeah, I think it probably was quite nice, Andrew. To be fair, but here's the here's the thing. Um, you know, as you said. Not everyone does get the chance, uh, but it doesn't always work out that way to have a runner in a race such as that. But certainly the syndication of horses these days brings a lot more people into that possibility.
6: Oh, a- absolutely. Look, the, the number of people that were involved in the ownership just of Tokyo Tycoon, you could see it in the birdcage, uh, saw people that uh, hadn't seen um, uh, for a long time and, and people that met new uh, people that are in the... And the team that owns Tokyo Tycoon, and that's where syndicators in general and Te particularly do do an amazing job just getting so many different people uh, into these horses. And uh, yes, they had seven of the the 14 runners, but they, they buy a lot of horses and then go about the very hard work. Of of selling them and uh, repeat business is something obviously uh, that they um, are uh, able to to do, but they get a hell of a lot of new owners each and every year into horses, as do many other syndicators, and, and they'll all be there from this morning uh, walking around the sale ground at Carracka, looking to uh, see what they like and how they might put together uh, deals to uh, um, to sell these horses once they've bought them through the auction process uh, over the next. We're uh, starting next Sunday. So uh, look, all the hard work starts, starts again uh, today for those people. I know plenty over from Australia, uh, Guy Mulcaster, who uh, we know is a family, and we know Guy from, from his Hawkes Bay roots uh, across, and uh, he'll do all his inspections this week. So people come from far and wide, and uh, all those sources, there'll be about a thousand in the catalogues over the week, and they'll all get a chance to buy next year's Caracamillion Million winner.
3: Well, uh, well, uh, terrific uh, performance again from uh, David Ellis, um, Karen, of course, uh, and the team there at Tiako. Incredible uh, record in the race, but
6: oh, yeah! It's, I, I think Mark, uh, after the race was quoted as, as saying, "Go anywhere in the world and, and find a feature race and someone that's um, purchased seven winners in a row." Um, you know they they've started with uh, Jamie and and Stephen Orchards training them, then Jamie on his own, and now Mark again back from Singapore. But the constant is that um, that the Tiakau operation and DC's the first to say that it's a team effort. They go around the sale grounds, there's a number of people involved in, in working through this shortlist, and then the bidding, and then Karen swings into action with her office team uh, to to get them sold. So yes, uh, an amazing amazing achievement to uh, to win that race. Uh, seven years in a row, and, and make no mistake, DC will be out there working bloody hard with his uh, team of um, selectors to uh, make sure he can uh, make it an eight.
3: Uh, let's just um, briefly look at uh, two or three other races on the card, but it's an incredibly successful uh, six race card. This is it, time after time, it has just uh, engenders so much interest. I'm not sure you saw too much uh, after Tokyo uh, Tycoon, but Pro West did a good job. and. <laughs> Uh, just denying uh, the wild uh, the wild night fraternity. Uh, incidentally, too, um, another South African jockey and uh, Warren Kennedy on board Pro S. Yeah, amazing. These two uh,
6: arrived at a very similar time. One of them, Warren Kennedy, was uh, the champion jockey in South Africa last season. Craig Zaki, previously a champion apprentice. They both landed in New Zealand. They've got a tremendous work ethic. They've very quickly enamoured themselves to uh, the big stables, and uh, to for them to win one each of the million dollar races is look it's it, it's in quite an incredible achievement because the relationships that are built up over a long, long period of time in racing are such that it's hard to break into a scene, and these guys have done it in the space of three short months, and there's two reasons for that. one is the fact they are very, very good, and two, that they work bloody hard. So they are um they are a massive asset to the New Zealand industry, these guys and uh, it's just tremendous that they are lifting the bar for our locals as well Um, and to get those two wins. I did uh, see Prowess. I thought that was as good a field as we've had in New Zealand racing for a long, long time. There's some high-class three-year-olds that were in that race, and uh, Prowess, uh, she is very, very good. We saw it on New Year's Day, and Hopefully we'll see it again in the Herbie Dyke. Reading uh, Michael Guerin's piece in the Herald this morning, it appears that both Wild Knight and uh, Prowess might head to the Herbie Dyke and take on the older horses that wait for age, something that's uh, always fascinating to see. So uh, we might get a rematch with those two. Uh, Legado, she didn't have any luck. I I thought uh, she got into a tricky spot and uh, had to uh, uh, go between horses. So I'm not sure she'll lose too many admirers with that, and she'll bounce back uh, from there, Desert Lightning continues uh, to run well. So, yeah, that was as good a field as you'd see uh, here in New Zealand, Ian, and it'd be interesting which path they now take. Some of them will clearly head towards the Derby, others may head across the Tasman.
3: Other features uh, on the programme, the Karaka Cup, of course, um, early on in the piece for Stephen Marsh, and uh, another overseas jockey and uh, Damien Lane.
6: Yeah, and that's and that's the appeal of the night. It, it does attract. I remember one year at Ellerslie. Yeah, uh, when I was here, we had seven Australian domiciled riders riding uh, in the Caracamillion Million, and on that night, the likes of. At that stage, there was Hugh Bowman, Brendan Abdullah, uh, um, James McDonald was there. I can't think of the others, but there were seven that particular night. Daniel Stackhouse was across on Saturday. So for Damien Lane, who rides internationally, just come out of a contract in Japan uh, to head across and choose to ride, on Karakamillion Night shows you that it is a serious uh, international uh, sporting event, and $2 million purses for sport in New Zealand are, are certainly uh, not worth sneezing at. So that's why there's a crowd there. That's why it appeals the people outside of racing it appeals to the sports followers so wonderful yes Falls was good in winning the first it was shown plenty of ability and uh, Damien Lane was inch perfect with his ride on uh, here in the first
3: and uh, not to be outdone of course uh, our very best and uh, OP Bosson uh, then went back to back on two very very classy performers they had to work though Imperatrice and Maven Bell yeah,
6: they did. Uh, Imperatrice, I thought she'd be really dominant, but uh, so I suppose she was giving a little bit of weight to them all, um, and she gets up to 14. Uh, she will then uh, now head to the BCD group sprint here, wait for age at 1,400, where she'll have another rematch with Levante by the sound. So that'll be a mouth-watering clash on the 11th of February. Uh, and then Opie had to be at his very best to get Maven Bell across the line. Pierre had no uh, luck in behind, so I thought went... Uh, A really good race, and I I suspect that they will choose to head across the Tasman with him on the strength of that. And, uh, look, the the lightly tried Master Brutus almost caused a massive boil over and just missed getting the dip in. But, again, uh, we see why Opie is regarded as uh, the very best in the business. He was able to extract that last little bit out of Maven Bell. Great to have her back as well, because she was our champion two-year-old last year. Just missed the early part of the season with uh, some minor hiccups but she's back now two from two this preparation and they'll no doubt be aiming her at a group one somewhere down the path probably the Levin Classic.
3: Butch, as the the racing manager at Ellerslie for a number of years, of course you uh, oversaw uh, quite a few big race nights uh, such as this, but uh, how did you feel it went at uh, Pukakoe Park, the temporary home at the moment?
6: Yeah, I thought it was a great night Ian. Look, uh, there was there was a good crowd there. Getting there was uh, took a bit longer than we thought. Getting uh, through the traffic, which was always a good sign. There were busloads of people being dropped off from uh, in town, uh, getting out there. Um, the facilities there, you can spread people out. There's plenty of room because of uh, the, the, the way the course is set up for it having been the home of motor racing. So there were lots of people down in Pit Lane, I think they called it, and enjoying themselves down there. The grandstand was full. Uh, look, it, you know, it's less than ideal that it needed to be out in the country for want of a better term rather than right in the city because it does lend itself to people going to the races and then he- heading to the viaduct on the back of a, a short quickfire fire. Six race program, but that's the necessity at the moment. So, uh, look, I thought it was fantastic. The track was presented in outstanding order. They got it bang on. It was, uh, I think, rated a soft five early in the morning, upgraded to a good four, and um, our bloke ran one ten flat, I think, for the twelve hundred. So that's a pretty good gallop for a two-year-old. So the, the track team got that bang on, which is not always easy at this time of year when you're lacking rain and needing to irrigate and the like. So, you know, it was it was a fantastic evening and. Um, it
3: really is uh, a wonderful sporting event. Is it? Uh, it's uh, the precursor to to what you just mentioned before, um, in terms of breeding and um, and selling. The most important uh, five six days uh, coming up now at uh, Karaka for Sir Peter Valer and Co as well. Uh, just tell us uh, from a public point of view, butch, you can just walk in and have a look at this. Of
6: course, you can. It's it's an amazing theatre. I was. Uh, Lucky enough to be one of the bid spotters there for a number of years until I got a bit old and and, uh, it's hard work uh, there standing in the auditorium for six or seven hours and and eagle eye on uh, the the crowd to to spot the bids. But yes, you can get out there. It's amazing theatre, fantastic to watch. You'll see some high prices uh, go through the ring. And this is harvest time for the breeders. Obviously, uh, they spend the year getting the yearlings ready for, for this week, sending them through the ring. It's the first time the Australians have been able to be here in person since the outbreak of the pandemic. So there's been two sales where they haven't been here. And I know that there's so many of them looking forward to getting back across the hospitality out at Caracas around the Studs as world-renowned. So um, there'll be certainly that aspect to it as well. But it's just a, a cool setting out there, and I know, the Monday uh, anniversary day, next Monday, in Auckland, always a, a massive crowd uh, out there having a look around and, and absorbing the atmosphere, not to forget it is a, a massive part of the business. There'll be tens of millions of dollars change hands over over the week, and as you said, it's, uh, it's the pinnacle for New Zealand bloodstock and the big breeders and the smaller breeders as well as they look uh, to uh, Frank their business, and it can make or break stallions. and Look, uh, the fact that... Um, Takeo Tycoon 1 He's got a half-sister in the sale So all of a sudden Her value has probably increased Quite markedly With uh, With what he did on Saturday night and There's plenty of stories like that uh, Throughout the catalogue uh, it's, it's a great time And uh, really looking forward to uh, What is uh, a, a, such an important week For the New Zealand racing industry Across the board
3: And just to prove it um, it, it can be lucky It can be doubly lucky uh, um, The Castles family actually had Two runners in the race um, uh, I, I know uh, all eyes were on uh, the winner, but um, what was the reaction to um, to Cena's horse?
6: Yeah, she's got a cracking race. She's run uh, six. She's uh, going to be a gorgeous three-year-old filly, uh, that, that one. She's a big, uh, imposing daughter of Headwater, so uh, I thought if uh, she was in the top half of the field, that would be a, a pass mark for sure, and uh, she ran out of her skin in running six, so they're going to have an enormous amount of fun, and there's a, another example of it. I know that uh, Stephen Marsh did it as well, but Teakao put together a syndicate. I think there's 18 or 20 women involved in that syndicate, and uh, they had a lunch on the Friday to uh, get themselves warmed up, if you like, for Saturdays <laughs> racing, and, and, the, and the thrill uh, that they had was great. I've got some friends to uh, get involved in it, and I can tell you that um, they are complete converts now and absolutely loving their uh, small uh, interest a great way for people to to get together as well. You don't have to spend a lot of money with any of these syndicators to get involved. So uh, a social group of people can uh, to get involved, and it's a a great excuse to uh, catch up when you get a
3: horse to the races. What's next for Tarapa Butch?
6: Ah, uh, yeah. Well, we're uh, racing next Wednesday during the sale, just the way that it falls at um, Legacy Lodge Waikato Guineas Day. So that'll be uh, a good pointer towards uh, the ATR New Zealand Derby on the 4th of March and then we race on the 11th. Uh, Ian, as I said, that Legends race day with both the Herbie Dyke Stakes, which may well see uh, a repeat clash of uh, Wild Knight and Prowess along with the likes of Defibrillate mm. um, and then the BCD Group Sprint where um, Peratrice and Levante go head-to-head. So that should be a cracking day's racing and then of course uh, with Ellerslie out of play we're hosting the Derby on the 4th of March which is something uh, that... Um, uh, race fans in the Waikato won't get to see very often, so um, tickets are selling really well for that as well.
3: Defibrillate, that uh, that name rings a bell. Is is that not... Um, uh, does Brendan McCullum not uh, share in the ownership of that, and uh, isn't the England cricket team pretty close to being in town then?
6: <laughs> yeah, they are. Brendan is involved in Defibrillate, so I'm sure he's uh, hoping that uh, their schedule allows them uh, to get along here. So well, it would be great to have... Uh, some of the English uh, team here to uh, cheer on uh, his horse. It's a favourite for the Herbie Dyke after its win in the Zabiel Classic. So um, I'll have to go to Baz and uh, just see what they've got on their agenda that afternoon. It might well be clear, eh?
3: I'll bet sure. Like, I'll put dollar $1 in shortening. It won't be practice, I'll tell you that. Uh, Andrew, um, <laughs> th- thank you very much for your time this morning. Heartiest congratulations on being a... Part successful owner and uh, a winner of a million dollar race. Absolute thrill for you, I know. Cheers for your time, man. All the best.
6: Good on you, you know, it's great to chat.
3: Yeah, cheers. Uh, Butcher Castle's there, folks. Uh, just proving that it can be done. You don't have to have uh, $100,000 invested in it. You can have a small bit and just get as big a thrill. I understand that uh, um, from uh, sources that uh, Butch really did enjoy that, that special moment. So. You can see them from when they're babies. You've put the investment in them. They're adjusted, of course. They go pre-training, then they get trained. They go to trials. They go to gallops, all sorts of things. And finally, they line up and qualify for a race of that nature. And lo and behold, you win it from last on the turn. Absolutely fantastic story, that. 948 here on SENZ.
1: Are experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts, and
2: service needs to help you succeed in your field, summer or winter? He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh,
3: 8833 is our temper bedpost text machine uh, number. So, if you uh, want to get hold of us uh, on uh, your thoughts on the makeup of uh, New Zealand cricket side, how it's going, uh, you're inter- in- interested uh, in the Super Smash. If you aren't, Why not? Why doesn't it uh, float your boat? I guess the expression is, why don't uh, light your candle? Uh, We'll be back very shortly with a multi, uh, and then after that we'll be talking football with Jacob Spoonley.
0: SCNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Call any time 0800 150
1: 811 are experts in agriculture covering your equipment parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field
2: summer or winter he's the voice of sport in aotearoa this is mornings with ian smith on scnz
3: right get uh quick uh, on your uh tab phone account because i think you can get the buffalo bills now at a dollar 95 the buffalo bills now at a dollar 95 they're trailing uh, the Cincinnati Bengals 14-7 at the moment uh, just coming up to uh, half time uh, later on this afternoon the San Francisco 49ers to beat the Dallas Cowboys at a buck forty seven, and there's Super Smash Cricket on today Wellington to beat Canterbury at $1.90 so if you get that Buffalo Bills bet on now uh, you'll get $5.44 for your multi so we'll keep an eye on that Bengals 14 Buffalo 7 playing in heavy snow uh, in Buffalo freezing cold up there Uh, And then we come back after this short break, we shall be talking all things football with our very own Jacob Spoonley.
1: Vodafone has one awesome summer of sport lined up for you. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service
2: needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Gomez, lovely vision. Here's a charge to make it four. Inside, hits it at the double. Crowd loves it. The Wellington Phoenix four.
7: United,
8: nil. come to life. Wins picking up. Foster. And yeah. two. And it is! It's five!
3: Brilliant performance by the Wellington Women's Phoenix team. They can finally say they have a win in the Women's A-League. And they did it so emphatically. A final score of 5-0 against Canberra as part of a double header that saw their male counterparts beating the Central Coast Mariners 2-1 it was a great Sunday for Knicks fans. Results aside, it's just been great for women's football in this country, ahead of the FIFA World uh, Cup coming up later in the year. Football fans lost their two matches against the USA, but the crowds came in support in their numbers. Good signs. Joining us now is uh, Sky Sport football analyst and former all-whites goalkeeper Jacob Spoonley. Good morning to you, Jacob.
9: Good morning, Smithy. What a weekend of football that was.
3: Wasn't it, though? Hey, 5-0. Natalie Lawrence and uh, her girls have had to be very, very patient through some pretty hard times some beatings, but they finally can smile, mate.
9: Uh, Wonderful. Uh, Their third win ever in the ALW. Their first at home and, importantly, and as you say, historically, in front of their home fans. It was emphatic, and it started right from the get-go. Two chances... Uh, One very clear cut for Ava Pritchard before Millie Clegg, who I think will be a superstar, put the ball on the back of the net to get them rolling. And I think the best way to sum up the weekend was, uh, as Goran Paladin said, the Wellington Phoenix 7, the A-League 1. It really was a wonderful weekend for everyone involved in the black and yellow.
3: Do you expect them to capitalise on now, uh, the, the women's team, now that they've found the back of the net and know how to do it on a regular basis?
9: Yeah, it's really interesting, Smitty. um I'm sure you've come across this. A team that was pretty beleaguered, there was a lot of frustration uh, in the changing room. They didn't feel like they were playing anywhere near the level um, that they could. And then they, a number of the players spend a week away in a camp with the football ferns, spending a, um, a good period with their international colleagues. They then played at home in front of two record-breaking crowds. Um, and they played against the perennial force in women's football, the US, um, and although the results didn't go their way, when you put yourself up against uh, athletes of that standard, you realise where you need to be, and that gives you some sort of direction. And what I think we saw on Sunday, although it was such a challenging week, having gone to Perth, been involved in the fence camp for a number of these Phoenix players, and then showing up again. On the Sunday, you saw this infusion of energy and enthusiasm, and that was really personified by Betsy Hassett, It was given a more advanced role but just was buzzing. But all over the pitch, um, the complete width was um, occupied by her, and then she was getting in beyond, um, and she really did lead by example. But the important point was there was a bit of an like a, a, a enthusiasm infusion that we saw from the Phoenix team.
3: Rightio, let's uh, look also at the football fans, as you say. Um, what, 4-0, 5 nil? so they weren't able to find the back of the net against the USA team. What did you take from that, though?
9: I think we saw a team that was very focused on being resilient and resolute in the opening match down in Wellington on Wednesday. So they kept the US at arm's length for the first 45 minutes. They went into the break at nil all. And I think what we saw from that point on was this juggernaut, um that Andaloski has at his disposal the US uh, the team by far and away in my opinion that has the most depth at the international level and they've got quality all across the field but it's those different options that he can call upon if something isn't working if a player isn't quite there and didn't have um the energy levels or the uh the sharpness because they were in off-season he can go to another option and when we saw Lynn Williams and Trinity Rodman coming off the bench in the second half they were devastating and when you see them live what you come to realize is that the u.s are so fast they're so athletic they're so strong and importantly they are so big compared to a number of um, the players in the women's game particularly the ferns um the other point that i would make is that these are great games it was great to get an introduction to the ferns and what we're going to experience in the world cup for the new zealand public uh, to play at these cathedrals of New Zealand sport was wonderful as well we haven't seen that for women's football before and we also haven't seen these crowds come out so although the results weren't anywhere near where we want them to be for the World Cup we ticked a lot of boxes in terms of creating enthusiasm creating this wave of energy that will we hope will drive the fans to the World Cup so I would say yes the results weren't where they needed to be parked that And now let's focus on this Nations Cup that we've got going on in February, and I think that's where we will hopefully see the marrying up of this energy and enthusiasm off the field and translating that into results on the field.
3: Okay, so um, we we were quite depleted, yeah? Is that, if you look at our very full-strength side, quite depleted?
9: Yeah, it's a great point, Smithy, and... The reason um, why Jitka Kinkova wasn't able to call upon all of her starters was because the games were organised outside of the FIFA window, so the clubs weren't obligated to release the players. That created a situation where you're negotiating with clubs, you're trying to get players released, and it turned out that a number of the players literally couldn't do that. The clubs were playing games, and they needed Alfernes to be there. So someone like a CJ Bott and Annalite, they had to play in the NWSL for Leicester City um, and for Aston Villa. So that meant that we had to call upon a number of those in the Wellington Phoenix, um, potentially squad players for the football firms, and then even had to go as far as National League players. So Taylor O'Brien and Devon Jackson got their international debuts up in Eden Park, which is wonderful at being their home city. But that did mean that we were kind of playing with the fringes of even the squad at times. So that's probably another explanation of the results against the U.S. team and why we weren't really hyper-focused on these results as being the yardstick for the Ferns because it wasn't our best 11 against theirs.
3: Okay, right. Let's uh, look at um, the men's Phoenix side of thing and um, a landmark first goal for Alex Rufa in his 107th appearance (laughs) for the club. 107 goes to get a goal. Uh,
9: And Jason Pine, I think he channeled his uh, inner Ian Smith mate. A footballing miracle is how he described it. Uh, it was it was wonderful. There was almost this moment where everything froze, and I was whacking Piney on the arm and just pointing. We're like, can't be, it cannot be. 107 games. at 3:22 on Sunday in Wellington. Alex Rufus scored his first A-League goal. A moment that had been 10 years
8: in the <laughs> making.
9: In <laughs> And we tried to wind him up after the game. But being the polished professional he was, he wasn't biting. I was trying to get someone in there to say that Brian Celtic had got the last touch and it was an own goal. There was even suggestions from the other side of the Tasman that he was offside. But ultimately, the goal stood and gave the Phoenix um, that lead and had had their noses in front. And they also had their tails up in that first half. Um, They were getting at the Central Coast Mariners. Um, They were getting in between lines. I thought David Ball and Callan Elliott were so strong down that right-hand side. And that's what ultimately led to that second goal. Number five and six for Oscar Zavada. He looks a wonderful import. And I think Ufuk Tully has done it again with the international recruitment. So that got the Phoenix in at 2-0 at time. They looked to be cruising. And then the second half, I think two things happened. Fatigue from the away game set in. They had some really arduous tests in Brisbane and in Sydney. And I think we saw um, that take its toll in the second half. And then also the nightmare of the Western United capitulation was hanging over the team they sat off, they got very conservative and I think they were just trying to guard against the repeat of losing that 2-0 lead that they had and um, that obviously ended up being a 3-2 against Western United, so um, the Phoenix lucky to survive, they conceded late but it's 3-3 three and three for Ufuk Tully
3: Right, well you goalkeepers are a feisty bunch uh, Phoenix goalkeeper <laughs> Ollie Sale in the headlines again, now this is so what two times out of the last month that Ollie sales uh, r- attracted some headlines, and uh, there was a, a bit of a fracas, shall we say, with Nectarius uh, Triantis, both given yellow cards. I
9: don't know why you're acting like wicket keepers are any different, uh, Mr. Smith, <laughs> Oh, um, on
3: oh, the phone. You know,
9: <laughs> so, um, yeah, you look, it's something that... Um, I think caught the headlines and and largely detracted from what was a really exciting encounter that had fireworks on the field. But again, for the third match in a row, the fourth this time this the season, uh, we saw the Wellington Phoenix um, uh, creating chaos after the whistle. And I think creating chaos is probably not an accurate description. What happened in the situation is that Oli Sale had the ball and a centre-back from the Central Coast Mariners, Nico Triantis, was up and looking to obstruct him kicking the ball forward, and that was the last play of the game. So Triantis jumps across Ollie as he's kicking the ball, ends up catching him in the wrist with his studs, Um, and I think rightly Ollie can take exception to that. Um, The referee Casey Rybelt had let a lot go in that game, but I think you could see the situation developing, and I would have liked to have seen her intervene and give Nico a few warnings and telling him, look, you're frustrated, you haven't uh, got back into the game. You've played well in the second half and you probably feel like you should be at 2-2 at this point. But don't you go anywhere near that goalkeeper. And he did. Um, and I think it won't be reviewed after the match now uh, because Casey Rybel did give Aniko Triantis a yellow card. But um, he was the instigator in this situation. And I think he can consider himself very lucky having only received a yellow card. It did obviously end in that brawl. But what I think we're seeing from the Phoenix is that they don't mind telling the Australians that they're losing to a Kiwi team, and the Aussies don't like that. So in three of the four situations against Western Sydney, Brisbane, Royal Sydney, and now Central Coast Mariners, it's actually been the Australian teams that have instigated um, each of the situations. And I think what we're seeing from the Phoenix is they don't want to take a uh, backward step. They are going to stand up and look the Australians eye-to-eye this season, and they're doing that on the table, now sitting, uh, well, basically tied third but
7: fourth on goal difference.
3: Okay, right. uh, Let's look at uh, the EPL interesting matches this morning. Leeds nil, Brentford nil, Uh, Manchester City three, Wolves nil, Haaland a hat trick, and Arsenal three, Manchester United two. A goal in the very last minute, basically, uh, for Arsenal to get on top there.
9: Uh, it sounds like it's poisonous coming out of your mouth at the moment, Smithy. the Arsenal up at the top of the table. Uh, What? a fixture. This was one that threw back to the days of Arsene Wigner and Sir Alex Ferguson. We've seen Liverpool and Man City dominate proceedings in the Premier League. Um, it's the, the new rivalry, as everyone's tried to brand it. Well, this threw back to a previous chapter in the Premier League's history. Arsenal and Man United going hammer and tongs at it, and it was an absolute Premier fixture, it had everything. Aaron Ramsdale came up with a couple of huge saves uh, to deny Manchester United. And then over the course of the match and looking at both teams, all of the big players stood up. Odegaard was fantastic in midfield for Mikel Arteta. I think the um has proven himself to be a superstar and he showed up again with a goal and some wonderful play. And then Eddie Nketiah, Uh, With Gabriel Jesus out with injury, he is not missing any chances. He's really contributing towards what is becoming a very efficient Arsenal team. And then Den Haag, Marcus Rashford has hit some form, and I think you can only look towards Den Haag and the reinvigoration of Marcus Rashford that has occurred under his stewardship. Uh, Den Haag, he will be unhappy with the result, but you cannot fault the performance of this Manchester United team. They were so feisty. They were so confident on the ball. You could see they had a plan. And it created a wonderful occasion at the Emirates.
3: Now, what did you make of uh, the move for Chris Wood? And uh, they got him on show very very quickly in the police. I'm um, talking here to Nottingham Forest.
9: Well, if you look at the context of it, it's a, it was wonderful to have Woodsy at Newcastle United. However, he was one of the first signings that Eddie Howe made bringing him across from Burnley. And when Newcastle started under Howe was at the bottom of the Premiership. They were in that tussle for relegation, and what he was looking for with Chris Wood was a player that was proven at Premier League level, that knew how to win matches, not just score goals, but contribute to a team uh, to get three points. Obviously, since then, and the subsequent transfer windows, Newcastle United has really transformed. They've gone out and they've spent a lot of that money that the Saudis have brought into the club. So Woodsy uh, was starting to see his game time uh, reduce. Uh, Callum Wilson is obviously in the conversation for the England squad and is a favourite of Howes, having played for him at Bournemouth. So there was, I'd say, a bit of the writing was on the wall that if Chris Wood was going to stay at Newcastle United, he was either going to have to explode and and really um, force his way into that starting eleven. Um, or he was going to look at uh, potentially a loan move um, out of Newcastle, but to stay in the Premier League. So we had seen the likes of Leeds um, put some interest out about bringing Woodsy back to Allen Road, but um, rather quickly he did head to the city grounds. And it was interesting, uh, and rather serendipitous, that uh, Chris Wood now plays for Forrest. Um, but he did get on the field in the weekend. Uh, I think he did contribute to Forest 1-1 draw against Bournemouth. He obviously wasn't on the field when he scored the goal, but Again, he provides such a great platform. His work rate is unquestionable, and that is so important at the Premier League level. You need to battle away to get anything. And I think um, uh, Forrest did see an injection of that from Chris Wood. He definitely helped them secure that draw over the weekend.
3: Jacob Spoonley, always a pleasure catching up with you, particularly on a Monday morning to sort things through with us. So have a great week, uh, mate, and then may uh, next weekend be equally successful. Thanks thanks so much for your time, Jake.
9: Not a problem.
3: Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Jacob Spoonley there, of course, former All-White uh, and uh, SENZ uh, with us, and also he's uh, with Sky TV as their football pundit alongside uh, Jason Pines. So. Uh, Plenty of good news over the weekend for New Zealand football fans. It is 10.19. We've got a panel coming up very shortly with Jamie Wall and Mark Watson.
1: Burton Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field.
2: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SNZ. Big talk, big opinions,
3: the panel. Panel this morning is uh, Mark Watson and Jamie Ward, who I'm led to believe is in Fiji. Yeah, not the first time we've spoken to Jamie Ward while he's been in Fiji. You are you the ambassador there?
10: Ah, uh, yeah, I'm officially now New Zealand's Fiji correspondent, uh, coming to you live from Suva. So um, yeah, I can confirm that the weather is very nice.
3: Well, Fiji has been the host of uh, a number of uh, successful sevens tournaments and, of course, sevens teams. And that was the order of the day rugby-wise uh, in Hamilton at the weekend, Jamie. Uh, the uh, ferns getting up, of course, uh, in very emphatic fashion, but uh, not so the All Black sevens. What did you make of the weekend as a finale? Uh,
10: yeah, it was a kind of a sad way for the the tournament to to kind of go out like this, and that they they brought it back after a was it, a couple of year hiatus. Uh, only to, only for everyone to know that it was gonna get taken away again. Um, I you know, I watched uh, I watched a lot of it on T V, obviously here in Fiji they're pumping it out on um, T V s wherever you look. Uh, and um, you know, it was an entertaining tournament. Um obviously the Black Sevens do what the Black Twin Sevens always do, which is win. Um and win win in a very impressive style. Uh, obviously for the all black sevens it's always gonna be a little bit trickier. Uh, and they did really well to reach the final and got really ripped off at the end there. That should have been um, a penalty or maybe even a penalty try. So uh, it was great to see both the teams on the field for 100% of the time that they they should have been. Uh, And it just will be quite interesting. I know we've talked about this before, but, like, what happens next with Sevens and where they take these tournaments, um, but also what it means for the players themselves, you know, whether New Zealand rugby continue to, Uh, contract them as as full-time athletes considering they're probably going to be playing less uh, or go the other way and pump as much um, capital into it it because it may well end up being a far more lucrative uh, series of of games. So it's some interesting times ahead. Um, It clearly provides uh, a good pathway for the woman um, who seem to be able to transition from 7s to 15s a lot easier than the men um and but but again now that we have super Rugby key you know starting and the Black blackfin is going to have a far more rigid um season set up whether that will be a thing going forward whether they'll be able to do both whether they'll just be able to have time to do both um that'll be interesting as well so you know yeah like i said sad way for it to finish As someone who grew up in wellington and went to i think it was about 12 in a row down there um it's 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 sad to see it see it leave the New Zealand shores, but at the same time I understand why they, they are doing it
3: right uh Mark Watson with us this morning Mark do you see it as a bit of a blessing in disguise that uh, it won't be in New Zealand for a while will it rejuvenate it or is it a dangerous thing?
7: Oh look it's an evolution isn't it I mean I don't as good a job as Hamilton has done I don't think it was ever going to be Wellington when Wellington was at its peak um yeah, just disappointing with the way we run events in this country. I think it's probably a wider issue for me. And, and, and yeah, the hottest ticket in town is no longer. Uh, look, in regards to, look, Sevens, it's, look, yeah, a controversial victory, you could say, for Argentina. But, look, I think Sevens is always going to be the global point of view when it comes to rugby or a form of rugby. It's easy to pick up, isn't it? We saw some years ago, Uh, the likes of Kenya winning tournaments. We've seen the United States. We see, you know, Samoa, these smaller countries winning tournaments. And I think if you're wanting to try and grow the game and get a genuine global point of view, it is within sevens. Um, What does that mean for New Zealand? I think because 15s is our game, we will continue to always put greater emphasis on that. But the Olympic Games is the big game changer, isn't it? Clearly. And that is really, really important to New Zealanders. Um, look yeah it, it it's 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 been great to see the black fans do well on the women 's side. you know the evolution in the game's not quite there yet, so it is easy for the girls to switch between fifteens and sevens but well, I think on the men's side sevens has almost become its own sort of sport. Um, I think there are certainly one or two players that can certainly jump back and forth between fifteens yeah I think the really interesting time for uh, new Zealand women's sevens um, I think I mentioned this earlier, we've won a Women's World Cup, now how do we capitalise on it? Well, we're not going to capitalise on it if we've got our top women's 15 players overseas playing sevens during the Opaki Super Rugby and during the Farah Palmer Cup, which is in fact going to be the case this year, which I just think is a really, really poor decision. I just think, look, take some development players and sevens, play them over in tournaments like Canada at the moment, maybe just sacrifice this year in terms of trying to win everything but still developing, still growing, still providing that depth and really try and capitalise on the 15s at home because you know I'm not convinced that people are going to still continue to pay money and go through the turnstiles and support women's rugby without necessarily um, a World Cup associated or attached to it. And yeah, I think I think I think they've missed a beat this year, and having a lot of those players away with the sevens team, so it's a really interesting time still for women's rugby.
3: It is, it is actually. You raise a very good point there. Uh, It's ten thirty here on SCNZ in the morning, so we'll take a very quick uh, news break with Aroha, and when we come back, we might look at a little bit of netball, bit of boxing, maybe a bit of baseball.
4: Big
3: talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is uh, now 10.33 here on SENZ and uh, let's uh, turn our attention to boxing, shall we? Uh, Jamie Wall, not sure if you saw the Joseph Parker fight uh, at the weekend, it was free to air, uh, which tended to suggest they were looking for interest in it and... Joseph Parker, um, well, unconvincing, I think, and has, uh, come, has went over Jack Massey. Where to for Joseph Parker now, surely?
10: Well, I think we're having the same conversation we've had three or four times over the last couple of years um, because it seems that every time Joseph Parker fights, the question is where to, and it's because we haven't had any sort of statement performance out of him for quite a while now. Um, I, I would say even going right back to when he won the WBO uh, heavyweight title um, and you know his career trajectory has been in the wilderness ever since he lost to Anthony Joshua you know he's been fighting these guys um, ever, ever since they're not exactly big names I certainly Jack Matty wasn't particularly familiar to me uh, and uh, obviously not familiar to the heavyweight division either because there's a cruiserweight who went up and Joe came into that fight with 14 kgs on him so it was pretty obvious what was going to happen in that fight, which was just going to be 10 rounds of Joe doing keep away with him and scoring his points and, and winning the fight. And like I said, every time Joe fights, we're expecting to see something, and we never really get it. And don't get me wrong, I love Joe. He's a, he's a great guy, he's great to deal with, and, and I, I, I want him to do really, really well. But I, I feel like he's just at a point now where he's just taking taking fights with no real... Uh, path set out for him to perhaps be back in the main title picture. Um, the the only thing I can really think that he he might achieve beyond these sorts of fights in the next couple of years is if Alexander uchek needed a warm up fight uh, before he fights Tyson Fury. If that ever actually goes ahead, uh, that and and even if that was on the card, a lot of things would need to fall into place in order for that to happen. That would be a big payday. That, that would definitely be on pay-per-view, um, and it would garner a lot of interest because um, he's already signaled, or both, both him and Tyson Fury have signaled that they don't want, don't want to fight each other because they're good friends, and that's fair enough. Um, and so really, the given that those two, uh, Uchik and Fury, are the two guys that everyone wants to see fight, um, if he can sort of get himself in the mix in the lead-up to that, then we'll get a bit of hype around it, but until then, I, I think we're just going to be seeing more of more of these fights until Joe finally decides to call it a day. And that would be fair enough too, because you know he's a boxer. He he's done the hard work. He's had, I think it's thirty one professional, thirty four professional fights now, uh, and you know he's earned his money. He he deserves to sort of go out um, and with a reasonably healthy, um, you know, oh a reasonably clean bill of health. So, yeah, interest, uh, uh, it'll be, I, I think, the next fight he has, he have this conversation all over
3: again. Yeah, probably right. Uh, Mark Watson, your thoughts? Yeah,
7: I look, uh, I look, great athlete. I think he's probably exceeded his own expectations throughout his career. Uh, you know, in fairness, going right back to Dean Lonergan, um David Higgins, I thought they did really, really well in terms of trying to provide a pathway, taking a guy I think was a good boxer, but was not, either going to really be a great boxer, provided some great opportunities. I think's provided some real um, good moments for New Zealand sport. We always look forward to it, but I think when it really just comes down to it, this is going to sound a bit harsh, but I think he's probably naturally a little bit lazy. I think that yeah, you know, I have a saying that you sort of maybe can't put back in what God left out, and I think right at the highest highest level, I just think he's not quite there. And he's a good fighter, but he's not a great fighter. He's a great guy. Um, As I said, very, very hard to dislike Joe Parker. And maybe he's too likable. You know, he has made a good living out of it now. He's comfortable. Um, Sometimes that affects people too. You know, in sport, you don't want to, you know, you never underestimate a person brought up on ration of cabbage, you know, who are are fighting their way out of poverty and fighting their way for a better life. And I think he's he's probably ticked a lot of those boxes. And I agree with Jamie. I think come the next fight, we'll be having the same. Same conversation. Um, and I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to lose again in the future. You, you, you try and right the wrongs, you come back out, you do a lot of talking, I'm the fittest I've ever been, I'm the fittest I've ever been. and mean, it's only three or four, sort of, you know, three or four years later that you talk to people behind the scenes. In fact, you know, he wasn't in great shape. Um, yeah, there were just things that were distracting them. And I, I, I just wonder whether that's been the case with Joe Parker for some time now.
3: Mark Watson, um, athletics action over the weekend Yeah, um
7: yeah, Potts classic um, stage down uh, um, stays down over the weekend and a really good opportunity to see what I think is um a, a golden era for um for track and field for athletics in this country with the depth that we do have. I think probably really just most people thrilled to see Eliza McCartney back competing. Uh, they're not reaching great heights at the moment, I think four meters thirty something. You know when she won bronze it was four meters 80 um but you know suddenly we've got Imogenius, we, we've got sort of three women's pole vaulters starting to come through we've, we've got depth and you know we've got a bit of a succession plan um behind valerie adams um and, and so yeah look and this is not this is not the first and last track and field meet to come over the summer time and I, I i do just encourage people to get along with, whether it be to national championships Um, whether it be events like the Pirate Classic, I think there's the Sir Graham Douglas meet up in Auckland Uh, yeah, just get along it's it's a very cool sport, there's depth in a lot of the different sports Um, you know, genuine depth in women's sport and you know, great depth in some of the shorter events on the men's side with the likes of Tia and Welpton and of course um, you know, got some very, very good distance runners at the moment, yes, so so, yeah, no, well well done um, to Richard Potts and well done to the you know, people down there in the Hawke's Bay, and a great, great way to remember one of the great women's runners in this country, in Sylvia
3: Potts. Mm, interesting. Um, okay, uh, Jamie Wall. Um, a bit of a familiar sign there with uh, the Silver Ferns. Not for the first time they've blown an advantage. This time they blew an eight-goal advantage um, to lose to Australia in the quad series.
10: Yeah, true, but. Does this one really matter? I mean, we're obviously looking forward to um, the World Champs later in the year, and so to kind of use these games as practice games, and I think Nolan Tarua definitely did that because she uh, completely emptied her bench, which is not that usual for a, for an equal test against um, Australia. So I I can kind of excuse them on this one. Like, obviously, it's no no fun to lose, especially to Australia, but. I think the eyes are
3: on the bigger prize um, in that one. Right, okay. Uh, let's get you know, to... Bigger, um, one. Yeah, okay, I, I understand that. Baseball, do you, you follow baseball at, at all, uh, Jamie? And and not a bad performance. Um, they, they, they get through to the playoffs, the Tuatara. Yeah, yeah,
10: one of the great rain delays of all time. Uh, sorry, rain uh, washouts of all time. Rather, um, yeah, I've, I've been following the ever since they they started. Um, it's a good fun day out out there, uh, and um, it's it's really the story of a little team that, that could. It's not only a, a New Zealand team playing in the in an Australian league. It's uh, it's one that's playing a, mono- a very very much a minority sport uh, in New Zealand. So uh, I think it's great. Um, they're they're an awesome organisation. Um, they're very very friendly and good to deal with. Uh, and um, I think that they, they definitely had a lot of challenges this season. Um, offense was a real problem for a while there, but they've definitely got their bats working uh, in the last few weeks, and that's what's propelled them through the playoffs. So i um, really looking forward to seeing what they can do. It's just a bit of a shame that they're playing. I think it's in Adelaide um, for their playoff series. So, yeah, go to Tuataro. Really looking forward to this one.
3: Okay. Uh, Jamie Wall and uh, Mark Watson have been our guests this morning on the panel. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time. We'll have a, another one uh, tomorrow uh, around about uh, 10.20 as well. It's 10.42 here on SCNZ. Bring your equipment,
2: parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Uh, just before we get to the text there on our temper bed post, uh, text machine i uh, i can tell you that in the nfl the game between the bengals and the bills they were at seven minutes to go in the third quarter and at the moment uh, the bengals lead 17 to 7 so can't quite get the rhythm josh allen uh, and his offense at the moment but it's being played in driving snow uh, really trying conditions of course the other one this afternoon is between the 49ers at home to the Dallas Cowboys, so plenty of NFL action, and we'll talk to Paul Mawati very shortly too, he might have a market on that uh, afternoon game, but we did ask you to come in uh, on the text machine and you have done that, Um, so here's a few of them, Anthony has said hi somebody is sody injured, suppose he would replace a fast bowler in the team right now playing on roads, yeah they are Um, it's a simple scenario for me, they sort of uh, if they're looking to put a bowler in or a bowler out, it seems to be that Ish Sodi is uh, the guy that goes. Well, I I like Ish Sodi. I think uh, Ish sodi has been our best uh, leg-spinning prospect for quite some time, if um, in a long, long time. And I I just think we've got to keep playing. I'm sure he's going to get belted from time to time, but he's not going to do any worse than Lockie Ferguson or the quick bowlers that go for 77 off nine overs or 10 overs. Um, Ish Sodi's going to gain in confidence. Leg spinners are going to get hit from time to time. Uh, and then they're going to get on a surface that absolutely suits them, and they're going to win you a game. Um, Ish Soti's a match winner. He's not a match staller for mine. Uh, he's not going to bowl you cheap overs. He's going to get people out, or try to get people out. And that's why I think uh, Ish should be in the team. If uh, I haven't heard that he's injured, um, uh, I, I just kind of feel like... They're, and they're going to be playing on good pitches in India. I mean, it's all about the batting over there, is isn't it, Anthony? But yeah, I, for me, Ish is... Um, He's, he's a bit of a given. Uh, Smithy. I'm a Will Young fan. Why is he not getting more of a crack in one-day internationals? He's always batted three or four for CD, but they've got Nichols, who's out of form, and Mitchell, yes, uh, Henry Nichols is a bit of a problem. I uh, don't quite feel they getting uh, much out of Henry Nichols at all, like giving him ample opportunities, um, but uh, he has not uh, delivered of late, and Mitchell's form is sort of uh, toying and throwing a wee bit at the moment. I don't worry about Daryl Mitchell, because I think he's a big match player. I think he's got it between the ears, so... Uh, no Williamson and Taylor he was going to get plenty of opportunity they seem to put him to test bracket only this Will Young They still still can't get a start there anymore so Hayden uh, thanks very much for your text I'm a bit of a Will Young fan as well I like the way he bats I love his style I think he's quite classy actually uh, just needs a consistent go uh, what chance of getting skull for an interview love that guy says Dermot yeah we'll work on it we'll work on it um, I don't think there'd be too much of an issue with uh, Kerry O'Keefe coming on the show at some point And uh, there'll be plenty of humour and a really good conversation. So uh, Dermot will work on that behind the scenes. Uh, Anthony says, hi Smithy, is Doug Bracewell still over there? Worth a go. I think Doug Bracewell's a really good all-round cricketer. I really do. Um, And I think he's been uh, underused by New Zealand cricket over a long period of time. I think he's a very fine batsman. uh, Terrific bowler. I'm not going to say he's a 10-over bowler, um, but I'm going to say he's going to make a real contribution, Doug Bracewell, so... I like the thought of him uh, being around the scene too, still, and uh, with all his experience. Uh, make the Super Smash North vs South five-match series with New Zealand's best in the five cities. Don't mind that concept. Don't mind it at all. It's just gonna, uh, it's got to have some appeal, and it's got to have the really good players, the really good players uh, involved in it. At some stage, so it's just a case of finding that damn window, which we seem uh, not to have at the moment. Um, from uh, Moral Bank, uh, Jason in, in uh, Victoria says, I have a great idea the New Zealand, uh, Australia cricket take over the New Zealand cricket and have one cricket team representing both nations in the Super Smash and the Big Bash would be a Trans Tasman comp and the New Zealand domestic first class cricket would join the Australian first class comp. What do you think of that? I think it's a great idea for us. I'm not quite sure that uh, Australia cricket would see too much benefit in it. Could be wrong, could be wrong, but uh, I don't really see. Um, them uh, entertaining that thought Jason but uh, nice of you to uh, put forward your 10 cents worth, appreciate it. It's coming up to 10.52 here on SENZ to try and catch up with Paul Mawati from the TAB for some odds on this Monday shortly.
1: Birds in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field.
2: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Well, Paul, my won't answer his phone today. You know why? It's Wellington Anniversary Day. So there you go. Good luck to uh, all the Wellingtonians and those associated regions who are having a day off today. Nice for some, uh, but I can tell you that because of that, there's a, a double header of cricket, and you can get these odds: Wellington Canterbury, Wellington in the uh, Super Smash, uh, dollar ninety, uh, Canterbury dollar eighty-three, and the highly favoured Wellington women's cricket team that seems not to be able to be beaten. They're at a buck forty-five, good odds there to take on Canterbury at two fifty-five. A double header down there in Wellington. Cliff's on the phone. G'day, Cliff. How are you?
8: Yeah, good morning. Um, I listened to you talking with uh, Richard Petrie earlier on. Now, a fifty-over game is a long game. It's a long game to bat, and if our team is is going to collapse early, it's, it it it's a real struggle from there. You know, and with this, Alan, to me. He's got no foot movement. He got bowled off his own inside, outside edge. He's, his feet were going nowhere, and he's looked like that in the whole series even before. Um, you know, you talked about Young. There's better, there's better players out there to be doing this. To me, he's a 2020 20 player in work, but he's certainly not a 50-over player yet for us. I think we've got enough batting around with Chapman and Young and... Um, oh, there's, there's another guy that just lost too. But to me, we have got to pick a picket side that can bat 50 overs or you're just out of the game straight off. You know, if you can't go out there and post 250, you, you, you're a shot duck and there's no use getting bowled out in 30 overs. You know, we've got all these middle-over power players, but you can't have them coming in in the first 15 overs because the ball's got too much life in it for them. And if we're going to have to play on a juicy wicket, you know, it's just not up to it. Latham should have been uh, batting at three in that side, and Nichols could have batted at four. But everybody were, were... You know, we had fellas coming in middle orders batting at three and four, and they were just too high. What do you what do you think about that?
3: I don't think they've quite settled on their top lineup yet. It, it's, um, there's not a big nucleus of players that they're, they're working around with it, though. That's the unfortunate side of things. They're close to what they want, I think, but they still... Uh, it's all around Williamson, isn't it? Still Kane, Williamson and Conway. They're the two cl- class elements in there, Cliffy. Uh, thank you very much for your call. It, it is a work in progress, but I, I, I'm with you on Finn Allen. He's far from the finished product, and the overseas bowlers have worked him out very, very quickly. He does have a lack of foot movement. You're dead right for a top-order player. Have a look at Rohit Sharma. That's how you open the batting and limited overs cricket. It is coming up to 11 o'clock. We'll have uh, tennis for you after 11, and uh, we'll head across the Tasman to do that. Uh, with uh, our good correspondent and Brett Phillips, who's also a commentator, of course, on SEN.
1: And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field.
2: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
11: He serves
0: down the tee with an ace. How's that for composure? How's that for power? From Stefanos Tsitsipas, 210 kilometers an hour, serving out wide. Backhand return up the middle from Sinner. Forehand in the down the line from Tsitsipas. Now the off forehand from the Greek, getting there with the slide was Sinner, but he couldn't get it back over the net. Tsitsipas, the number three seed, serving out wide. Sinner's cross court forehand, and the cross court forehand from Stefanos Tsitsipas is a winner. A cheeky smile, a double-handed fist pump to the Rod Laver Arena crowds. The Greek flags emerge around centre courts. Stefanos Tsitsipas has jumped the centre hurdle for a second year running and he is now striding into the quarterfinals.
3: Brett Phillips there with his call on SEN and SENZ, of course, uh, got the benefit of his knowledge there and uh, that was uh, a weekend that including the downfall of uh, a number of top ten seeds in the women's side of things and, of course... It was also the end of Andy Murray after a brave fight uh, going down in four sets as well. So uh, interesting now that we hit Monday morning. It's the second week uh, of the Australian Open and uh, Australia uh, still have uh, some viable options, particularly Alex de Menor, who's got a showdown with Novak Djokovic uh, on the Rod Laver Rod Lever, uh, Arena. Um, but uh, for our caller, Brett Phillips, was uh, amazing. Uh, And uh, able to call, of course, that match that we just heard between uh, Sitsapas and Sinner in a five set opener. That was uh, a brilliant uh, night out for you, Brett. uh, Congratulations on that. And uh, what did you make of the weekend?
11: Yeah, thank you, Ian. Good morning. Uh, Look, it's been a big first week. Uh, You know, there's been upsets, Uh, there's been obviously some long matches, um, well into the early hours, which has been a huge point of discussion. The Scheduling at the Australian Open, but scheduling in tennis in general. Um, One of the power brokers probably need to sit around the the boardroom table and just have a a good look at. But we've got some names left in the draw that we didn't expect and always hard to forecast when you're trying to predict. But yeah, I think the tennis has been uh, top shelf uh, wherever you look. Uh, I mean, it's heaving Melbourne Park. I mean, 94,000 there on Saturday. Uh, the biggest crowd in the tournament's history, uh, you know, you wander around, I mean, the, some of the best matches are just in on courts that you wouldn't expect, and, you know, for those that have a grand pass, they just get to see, you know, some wonderful action, whether it be singles or doubles, or even the juniors out yesterday, the future stars, who might be lifting trophies in 10 years' time. Uh, but yeah, Sitsi pass was um, a fascinating match last night, because it was the replay of or well, the rematch, if you like, of the quarterfinal last year where uh, Yannick didn't even get near Sitsi Pass. And the way those t- t- first two sets rolled out last night, we thought this is a bit of deja vu, but, but it shows how far Yannick's come. He's still got a fair bit of work to do. Uh, his record against the top five uh, at the majors and at Masters 1000 level is, um, is pretty poor on paper, so he's got to find a way to bridge the gap. But he did a good job to get back into the match because uh, certainly... You know, he was going to that forehand of Pass far too often and that's where all the winners came for Stefanos last night. And I think this is where the, there's the benefit of coaching now in tennis because Darren kale and co. in the box, you could clearly tell when you know, Yannick was down there in, talking to him about you know going to the back end more and that's where the errors came in sets three and four. Uh, Sinner gets a lift and, yeah, it was a pulsating atmosphere on Rod Laver last night, but right now, yeah, Pass is... Is just the a smidge better than uh, Yannick is trying to make up that ground.
3: Okay, let's uh, look at uh, the brave performance too. Um, sure, of uh, Sir Andy Murray, uh, two lengthy five setters which were epic, really. Uh, but uh, just uh, a bridge too far with uh, Batista Ragu.
11: Yeah, who's just solid. You know, thirty-four years of age, so he's uh, he's no uh, young fella in the game anymore. He's been around a a long time he's um, yeah played a lot of big matches in his career doesn't make too many errors out on the court and he was just able to work Andy over and you know I mean Andy obviously pushed himself to the limit in those uh, first uh, couple of rounds and look he's still competing he's never going to you know probably reach obviously the real top echelon again but he wants to go out on his own terms he's a you know when you see him in the draw you know you're in for one hell of a fight uh, he's got the uh, the IQ to match out on court as well uh, to deal with some of these uh, bigger hitters, and you know from all reports he's going to play you know a, pretty much a full schedule this year. Uh, Ivan Lendl in his corner, and, and Ivan, you know, would only be really coaching him, Ian, if he still believed that you know Andy could do some damage on the tour, and you just never know. Um, so I think that partnership is a is a good one in the twilight of Andy's career, and. Yeah, gee, boy, oh boy, did he push himself to the limits. He was like using that racket as a walking stick, yeah. <laughs> more often than not in the last week.
3: It's been magnificent, to be honest. It's been one of the lifelines, I think, uh, so far. But now that he's gone, of course, in terms of the veteran stakes, uh, we've got Novak still there, and uh, he accounted for Grigor Dimitrov and uh, straight set six, 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 4 um with this apparent injury so uh no can making up for a lost time of, of him not being there last year
11: yeah okay he's still the player to beat i mean we're obviously just you know watching every shot that he plays every time that he's got a sprint forward you know how much is it taking out of his hamstring it depends who you talk to being around melbourne park you'll talk to some people People say, no, look, it looks legitimate uh, that there is an issue there. To what point, we don't know. Obviously, sports people, as you know, you know, play through different pain barriers and a day off between slams, he can recuperate, get treatment. He's not giving too much away in terms of, you know, how much. He, I mean, there's times where he sort of let on that it's not ideal and he's not feeling 100%. There are other people in the corridor you'll talk to who believe that it's all theatrics and that he's playing up to this and it's a bit of mind games with his opponent and that he's actually okay. So, you know, you're getting some contrasting views, but, I mean, obviously he's pushing through to win these matches. And he's doing through uh, getting it done in pretty convincing style. I mean, hand on our heart, you know, obviously Alex Demonor, we're right in his corner uh, tonight. If you're standing around the office uh, drip tray today, people are probably going, "Gee, I, you know, I'd love to see him win, but it's almost mission impossible when you're playing Novak, particularly at the Australian Open." You know, Diminor is certainly better equipped than I think. You know, in previous meetings against you know some of these some of the guns of the sport. Uh, but Alex has got to take his chances tonight. He simply cannot sit on the baseline with Djokovic. He just bullies you all the time, Novak. And you know, Alex has got the wheels. He loves to volley. He loves to get into that forward part of the court. And he's got to take you know, take some risks. A high risk, high reward for Alex. But hopefully, yeah, it should be a closer contest than what we've seen with Alex against the top players in the past.
3: Tennis Australia's uh, CEO, Craig Tiley, I think has done a a pretty damn good job pulling this all together again this year. Um, But he did cop a little bit of online criticism about the same scheduling time for Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic. I'm not sure he can do too much about that because you've got to remember Andy Murray knocked a couple of guys over that probably he thought would have been playing.
11: Mm. Yeah, look, the scheduling is one of the hardest things in tennis uh, throughout the course of a year. But, you know, certainly... At a Grand Slam, if I if I think back to a, a couple of nights ago, you know we had obviously the four main courts: uh, Rod Laver Arena, John Kane Arena, Margaret Court Arena, and the new Kia Arena, all operating at the same time, seven o'clock slot. Uh, so you had eyes everywhere, and there was a bit for everyone. Wherever you could get a seat on those respective courts, you were seeing some uh, top line players. The bigger picture of you know should the sport. Be playing at four a.m. in the morning, uh, two thirty this morning when Victoria Azarenka finished her match. Yeah, I, I, I sort of sit in the corner that okay, this is not happening all the time. Uh, tennis uh, is unique in a sense, but it's all—it's almost like tennis uses it as a little bit of a badge of honor uh, that we're the only sport that would actually, you know, play at this sort of uncivilized hour. The hard bit is you put on a match. You know, if a match starts at 10 o'clock at night, you don't know if it's going to go an hour, two hours, three hours or four hours because there's no clock on tennis. Could we start the sessions earlier? I mean, I think a think tank is probably needed. You know, could we start the day session an hour earlier at 10 o'clock? Do we stack up more matches during the day, maybe just play one marquee match at night? The, The problem is if a player withdraws or you have an injury, What are you left for, for the punters who are playing, you know, good money to come to Rod Laver Arena? Or do you play two women's matches, best of three? And we finish and people get home by, you know, 11.30 midnight. So I think there's a bit bit of thinking, a bit of tinkering to do. But, you know, it's not like it's happening all the time. And do we just, on the other hand, accept that, well, sometimes we're going to get a a 4am finish or a a 2.30am finish. But, yeah, I think it's probably now on the radar more than it ever has been and this is the thing with tennis ian the hard bit is you've got all these governing bodies right everyone's got a different say everyone's got their own backyard to look after and there's not a commissioner who sits over the top to say no we're going to do it this way seven bodies have got to try and come together and actually form you know one approach which is not always easy
3: no um and that's i I guess akin to a lot of sports is as well uh brett let's uh, stay with the women's side of things um away from the scheduling uh, it was a carnage for the top and uh, the, the some of the top seeds there um and uh, some real surprises
11: yeah it's a it's a women's draw that's lost a, a stack hasn't it? i mean look egos fiontech going out yesterday and as almost invincible as she was in 2022 i mean women's tennis there's you know, been more unpredictable results certainly than the men you know, the last probably 10 years, and she plays against a player yesterday, Elena Rybakina. I mean, Wimbledon champion. She she won that Wimbledon title last year on the back of a big serve, and a really big power game. And when it was on, it was a it was a tsunami coming at you. I mean, almost unstoppable. And Eager loves to play up the court, taking the ball early, redirecting, dictating the points. Rybakina pushed her back. And she's only going to be a little bit off eager and she can be taken down. Um, So right back in Ostapenko is not the quarterfinal we imagined. We thought Coco Goff would get past Ostapenko. So that's an interesting part of the draw. But Jessica Bagula, whose backstory, I think everyone's learned about the backstory of Jessica Bagula, is now the best equipped player left in the draw. She's playing the best tennis of her life this tournament. She has been outstanding as the third seed, trying to get past the quarters for the very first time. But I, I like her chances. You got Garcia, you have got Sabalenka, you know, Benchich, It's her time to step up. Um, there's still Azarenka left in the draw, you know, who's been a two-time champion who wants to win more trophies in the, you know, second yeah. phase of her career. So it's a big second week with a lot of yeah, hot competition in the women's draw.
3: Yeah, I've got to say, I, I think experience could be a big factor with Sabalenka. I, I'm, I'm liking her as well. I did watch Bagula play yesterday. Uh, Krejcikova I thought was a a real factor but she demolished her really
11: well she's upped her game Uh, this is you know it's it's really noticeable uh, from probably a year ago she's cranked up the power and uh, you know obviously players are always making adjustments every year with their racket tension type of racket they use Uh, but she's getting more pop off the ground there's no doubt about that and she's got that look I mean she's quite a I love her demeanour. Uh, she's uh, really sort of got that self-assuredness, but she's calm um, and she's got a bit of fire in the belly. It's it's sort of that good mix. Her emotions don't get, you know, too out of control. And I think she's now got the belief uh, that, you know, she really belongs and that she can win one of these. Uh, she had a lot of injuries across the journey. Uh, she You know, probably, there's no way anyone would have predicted she would have become the world number three and maybe a Grand Slam champion. So she's put her head down and right now and she's coached by David Witt who was the long time coach of Venus Williams so what he's been able to bring to her game which we can't always see behind the scenes is absolutely invaluable
3: Not the fairy tale finish that uh, Sam Stosa wanted to to her illustrious career of course being eliminated uh, early in both the women's doubles and the mixed doubles Uh, Brett but um, a real and emotional uh, time for Sam Stosa this tournament and of course, she's been really the backbone of uh, women's tennis. There have been some stars come and go, but Sam stosur has been a constant for a long, long period of time.
11: Yeah, well, certainly before Ash Barty came along, Sam was our our, our number one and, and obviously our most successful player of the past uh, couple of decades. And, you know, people, I think, um, have probably harshly judged Sam at times, only because we never saw her... Play her best tennis in Australia, and people would put a mark next to Anastasia's gone out first round, uh, disappointing, shanking forehands. And then they forget. Oh, yeah, she won a U.S. Open. She made a French Open final. Uh, world number one doubles player. Uh, I think eight or nine singles titles. You know, a lot of wins. Top four in the world in terms of her ranking. I mean, when you add all that up together, you know, performing in mixed doubles, um, women's doubles, singles across the majors, she has put together a fantastic career. And she was really the architect of the kick serve in women's tennis. And at the time, not, you, know, you could argue, no one was fitter than Sam Stozer. And she brought a real physical presence to the game. I think maybe still in you know, her biggest legacy is still to come. And uh, her and Ash Barty uh, coming together, they not necessarily coming together, but um, they will be now really focused on uh, player development to lift our women because the cupboard is extremely bare here in Australia and this is where they could have the biggest imprint to really guide and mentor these young girls and, and get them up to the level where they can compete on the world tour. Uh,
3: Brett, I know you've been busy uh, watching and uh, calling tennis, um, but have you had a chance to watch the uh, the Breakpoint series on Netflix?
11: Yeah, I'm up to episode four, so I haven't watched it in, in its totality. Uh, It's funny, talking to a lot of people during the week, a lot of people have sort of thought it's a little underwhelming. Uh, It just depends, yeah, which lens you see it from. I think a lot of people have said maybe they could have gone behind the scenes a lot more because that's what we always want to see, you know, into the player cafe, into the player locker room, uh, you know. um, So... I don't. I like it. I mean, I love tennis, obviously, and uh, there are some really good things behind the scenes and some good revelations. You know, hearing from, you know, the competitors and their ambitions and aims and you know their struggles at times. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it in its in its totality through the year because I'll release I think five more episodes uh, later in the year. But yeah, I, I think it's it's good. Um, have I seen some better ones on Netflix? Maybe. You know, I think it's all very subjective, but yeah, uh, it's, it's given people a bit of an insight, certainly, into the uh, the tennis world, that's for sure.
3: Aside from uh, Alex, the mean in action uh, on behalf of Australia uh, later, uh, highlights today to look forward to for us viewing and listening overseas, over here in New Zealand?
11: Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to the clash between Andre Rublev, uh, that's third up on Rod Laver Arena today, taking on Holger Runa, the... Uh, young sensation from uh, Denmark. I mean, Rublev's trying to get past a quarter for the first time. He is a fierce ball striker, and is just, uh, well, he's an incredible athlete at, what, 19, 20 years of age, uh, just eats, sleeps, and breathes tennis. So that is the the matchup that stands out on paper. And just watch out for this kid. And He knocked over our very own Alexi Popram on the weekend, but Ben Shelton mm. from the US is going to be absolute top 10 material going forward, lefty. College graduate last year. His father, Brian, played on the tour, got to world number 55. This is the first time that he left America to play professional tennis. Loved his interview on court. Um, is, It's just a, a little nice inner self-confidence there without being cocky. And he's taking on fellow American today, uh, JJ Wolf, who's come from nowhere <laughs> with his ranking in the last 12 months. But, yeah, Ben Shelton, mark him down uh, as one of the future stars of the game.
3: Rhett Phillips doing a terrific job uh, calling tennis on our behalf. I'm loving your work and uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Uh, I realise that you're a very busy man at this time of the year. Uh, cheers, no, mate. I appreciate your insights. Loved it. Good on you, Thank you. Great to
11: chat. Thank you.
3: Yep, Brett Phillips there, uh, of course, doing a sterling job for us uh, uh, listening here on SENZ, uh, broadcasting uh, play-by-play and some pretty late nights for those uh, guys and gals that are doing that and uh, our uh, thanks to them for that. It is 11.20 here on SENZ, coming up uh, a segment which will basically be hosted by uh, our producer, Logan Swinkles. Uh, He and Brian have been putting together a lot of little... audio extracts from action over the weekend uh, we'll have a bit of a around the houses a catch-up coming up shortly
2: on scnz
3: well that is uh, breaking news first time uh, this calendar year for me that the breaking news jingle has been played by logan swinkles and i understand it's Very big news, particularly
0: for our SCNZ listeners. This is great news, Smithy, for anyone who is a fan of the one New Zealand Warriors. You know why? Because SCNZ will be on the journey with the Warriors and their fans throughout the 2023 and 24 seasons, joining as official sports radio partners. Doesn't it just sound so good, Smithy? It does sound good
3: and uh, we just know how much uh, focus is on the Warriors so a lot of content here on SENZ Uh, we'll have more details of what that partnership means but uh, a lot more access a lot more availability to the team the coaches staff um, and of course um, all sorts of things around uh, the Warriors franchise the administration as well so uh, nice to know that that's official and that is huge news uh, Logan uh, on this uh, Monday morning Uh, let's uh, look back at the weekend as well uh, because you boys have uh, put together some uh, fascinating little audio clips. Uh, I don't know what the order is. Surprise me as well as the listeners.
0: All right, well, we don't have time to go through it all. I will just give a mention to the Blackburn Sevens because as incredible as they are, it is sad to see the Wellington Sevens are going But Michaela Blyde, just a hat-trick in the final was outstanding. But the one thing that really got my Monday going off to a great start, the Warriors news has been awesome, Smithy. But to then find out that earlier, the Black Sticks men knocked out India, in India, the World Cup that they're hosting via penalty shootout, this is how that sounded.
1: Can he find the net he's got to score remember or India are out, Shamsha's moving the feed he can't find the save and the second one is there it's all over New Zealand have beaten India in a shootout and the hosts are out of their own world cup New Zealand third in pool C, having beaten only Chile have come to India's backyard and defeated them in a shootout and it is despair for India their wait for world cup reward goes on and huge disappointment for India but take nothing away from New Zealand because they have been excellent this evening
0: Huge result there for New Zealand, Smithy. As the commentary said, they had only won one match in pool play. It was tied up 3 all at full time with Sean Finlay getting that equalising goal via the penalty corner in the 49th minute. New Zealand won 5-4 on the shootout. Man of the match went to Sean Finlay. Oh, it's the okay. greatest hockey game I've ever been a part of. Uh, both nerve-wracking and exhilarating. Uh, we did it the hard way but it's a great end, great start to the uh, campaign and awesome be a part of finals hockey. I guess what people picked
9: up on in the commentary box in particular was your fighting spirit and that you came back at the tail end of quarters to get those all important goals.
0: Yeah, we, we knew that this was the biggest game we were going to play in so far and we were willing to leave it all out there. It doesn't matter what's after this game. We just wanted to make it to the next round. And could have won it with the very last touch of the match as well. Absolutely. Like I said, we wanted to do it the hard way, but uh, just stoked to have won. Yeah, well, it's
3: interesting. That uh, massive highlight, of course, but I had one over the weekend as well. I, I watched the breakers, and this was a they were on a, a, a run that was uh, doomed for not very good things. And boy, they played the kings. What a, what a result.
0: Yeah, turning the tide there with that losing streak that they had, the schedule all against them, and then they go to Sydney to play the Kings, the best team in the league, in front of 14,000-plus there at Kudos Bank Arena. I've been to a few matches there, including watch the breakers, and it's, it is an incredible atmosphere. But the fact that they won 93-88 surely instills all sorts of pride into coach Mady Mayor.
8: I'm very proud of our guys. We, it's a lot of stuff that's stacked against us in this situation. And I came out and played like men confident, tough, humble, but unfazed and unscared of the moment. And those are great
10: signs. And I'm obviously very happy.
0: As I've said before, Modi is not one to hide his emotion smithing. You can hear. You can hear you can hear the pride in his voice, with the like you know Jarrell Brantley scored thirty points, Will McDowell White backed that up with twenty. It was just a great performance all around and something you really need to see from the New Zealand Breakers coming towards the business end of the season and that NBL ladder being so tight.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally agree with you. And that was um, maybe a, a turning point win uh, for them because uh, to win it, they're probably going to have to bring the, uh, beat the Kings again at some point if they had to go through the playoffs and uh, want to be the champions this year. So beating them uh, away from home, significant, absolutely significant. Right, uh, your chance now to uh, be a winner here on SENZ. Uh, get on the phone at 0800-150-811, 0800-150-811. We got 100 bucks. remember, $100 worth of TAB product for you. So light up the lines if you can. In the meantime, we shall uh, go across to the news desk where Aroha has an 11:32 update for us.
0: Vodafone has one
1: awesome summer of sport lined up for you.
8: Ian Smith's had a good match here.
4: Stamped by Smithy.
8: Ian Smith really is top class at his job.
0: First stump of the week here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith and due to the excellent wicker keeping skills of Smithy, he stumped our listeners on Friday which means Smithy that we have jackpotted up to a $100 TAB bonus bet today. Yep,
3: I'm looking forward to it actually, Um, a good contest and just managing to get home the other day so nice to build it up to a really healthy pot uh, this week if we possibly can so uh, we'll work on that Who uh, is our first contestant uh, and where from today
0: oh it's been a while i feel like the uh, record is either two f- i think it's around 250 so if we could get up to that again that would be amazing but first at the crease we're going to the carpet coast and we've got pac-man come in mate
8: g'day mate how are we going
0: yeah doing
3: good yeah, how are we're, you we're we're yeah, we're very good, Pac Man. We're very good here um, in the studio and in uh, Hawke's Bay. So, did you back a winner at Caracas at the weekend? I uh,
8: had a couple actually, but uh, Legado needed to win the last, but to really turn into something good. But it was a shame, <laughs> but that's the way it goes.
3: Yeah, she'll come again, I'm sure. She's, uh, she's quality. So, uh, really, really good performance um, uh, of. Uh, 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 Pro-S, yeah, it was Pro-S that won that race. Interestingly here, Butch Castle, so they might go, that and Wild Knight might go to the Herbie Dyke, which will we'll follow with interest. Um He had it? a winner in, in, in the race earlier, didn't he? He had
8: a uh, share in the yeah. tokyo, tokyo, tokyo Tycoon. Tokyo Tycoon,
3: yeah, a little bit of that. I think Cameron George, too, from uh, the CEO from the Warriors, is very much part of that mix as well so um uh, let's uh, see what uh, your sporting knowledge is like this calendar year because it was rubbish last year so <laughs> how, how are you going what what are the what are the uh, topics uh, today for pac man Logan
0: fighting words smooth I love it these are the topics for you today pac-Man we've got rugby the 2023 Australian Open and the Australian Baseball League
8: uh, the tennis mate please
0: all right good luck course we just had brett phillips on the show so if you missed that go check out the podcast on the snz app because always a great chat getting our great man in over from melbourne first question for you, pac-man who is the top men's seed still currently active in this year's tournament
8: uh, djokovic one of the worst
9: things i have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field
0: Hey, it's a bit of a slippery question there, because you would probably think Novak, uh, Smithy, uh, Daniel Medvedev is he still there? No, he's one gone. One of the
3: worst things <laughs> I have ever oh, seen God. done on a cricket field.
0: He is gone. We talked to him about an earlier. Stefanos Tsitsipas, the third seed, is oh. the highest oh, one still Sitsipas. remaining.
3: So okay, the Greek freak pass <laughs> is still there, right? Okay, I think he was number four seed going into it. So it's been Carnage, honestly. Number three seed actually, thanks
0: Brian. Right, question two. Yep, Novak is fourth. Second question for you. Who knocked ASB Classic Winner Coco Goff out of the Australian Open?
8: Oh Yeah, not no good. <laughs> they all sound the about eight of them from that part of the world, and, and uh, yeah, no, I'll pass on that one. All right, Smithy. Good luck, Smithy.
3: Yeah, well, we did it, and I think uh, with Brett Phillips and the uh, uh, in the uh, previous chat that we just heard, Pac Man, and uh, I think it was Ostapenko. Just a couple of chips down a wicket right in the slot,
8: and away it goes.
0: Yeah, well done, Smithy. Jelena Ostapenko is right, so nice little stopping there for for you, mate. So, Pac-Man, you're out, back to the pavilion. Next up, we've got Jamie from Nelson. Come in, mate. G'day, boys. How are you? I think Smithy's doing real good now. (laughs) Yeah,
3: we're good, Jamie. It's just a Ah. one-question shootout here, so uh, wish you all the best, mate. Um, And uh, that question will be
0: Logan. Final question for you, Jamie. $100 TAB bonus bet on the line here. Michael Venus and his partner were eliminated in the second round of the men's doubles at the Australian Open this year. Who is his partner?
7: Oh, cheapest. No, I can't can't think of his name, sorry.
9: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
0: Taking a defensive stroke there. Taking it gone to the keeper, Smithy. Oh, God. Um, Look, he's
3: had a number of partners over the years. Um, I'm going to say that he has... uh, He he did play with Ryan Harrison for a while, and then he played with another guy whose name... um, he's, He's even played with Jamie Murray, I reckon, over the years as well. That I'm not quite sure whether Jamie Murray is his partner this time round. It's the last one that comes to mind for me, so I'll go
0: with Jamie Murray. Just a couple of chips, though, I get right in the slot, I know where it goes. Oh, Smithy, really thought you were about to uh, talk yourself out of that one. Yes, Jamie Murray, brother of Andy, is his doubles partner. Hard luck, Jamie. Hard luck.
6: Oh, well done, Smithy good
3: performance brother thank you jamie oh, it was just something i read the other day and uh i was looking for him to make some real progress because mm. jamie murray is a fine doubles partner and i thought that they would go all right uh, she didn't realize that he'd been uh, knocked out that's how much sport was on over the weekend <laughs> as, as far as i'm concerned so uh thanks jamie and for pac-man for taking part but uh, that's good news for someone tomorrow possibly logan
0: Yeah, we now jackpot to $150, so make sure you're listening and play Stumped with us at 11.32 tomorrow.
3: Yep, do that please. Um, It is 11.40 here on SENZ um, and uh, we'll be back very shortly here as we look uh, to hand over to Mark Stafford. Yes, Mark Stafford back on deck after his uh, Christmas and New Year holidays. Uh, He takes over his show at uh, 12 o'clock this afternoon, we'll be back with uh, a little bit more and then Staffy before that.
1: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed
2: in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
3: Well, even the motivating factor of Damar Hamlin, of course, uh, he was uh, the player who uh, was on life support, um, clinically died on the field of play. He was uh, a Buffalo Bills safety, of course, um, and uh, fortunately got through that, uh, came to the dressing room prior to this match that they're playing um, against the Cincinnati Bengals, but uh, even the motivation of him being there has not been enough for them. In fact, they're in big trouble. The Cincinnati Bengals in the snow, uh, leading Buffalo uh, Buffalo Bills 27-10 with about six minutes to go in the final quarter. Um, I think they're gone. I think they're absolutely gone buffalo and that is a turn up and it opens the way for joe burrow and the bengals to proceed on um and they are a real possibility now so a good result uh, seeming to be for the cincinnati bengals uh, over there in buffalo this morning of course the giants uh, went down to philadelphia the eagles have been one of the form teams in the competition 38-7 that was one-way traffic Uh, and of course uh, this afternoon a very big clash between uh, dallas and San Francisco so uh, a lot of interest in the NFL uh, but also um, of course there was a lot of interest in the weekend uh, Logan and uh, the f- performance of uh, the uh, All Black Sevens and the Black Fern Sevens and the Black Fern Sevens as always didn't let us down.
0: Nope, that's that's the way that they are mate the Black Fern Sevens they know how to entertain they know how to put on a great game. And also be entertaining off the field as well. Uh, And I think leading up to the final, they had only allowed two tries throughout throughout the tournament. So they only allowed one in the final. So three tries over the whole weekend while they pulled up points themselves. So incredible stuff from them. Uh, This is the post-match interview that our very own Kirsty Stanway did with Michaela Blyde.
4: Caleb Blyde, congratulations another final, another title and another trophy for yourself, what does this one mean? Oh, This one's a little bit extra special, obviously with it being the last Hamilton Sevens we really wanted to make it our best one um, and to be able to go back to back at home is extra special as well so thank you so much to everyone here who have come and supported us <laughs> it's been amazing and it's helped us with the energy on the field so thank you so much we know you've got plenty of gas on the field, but you pulled that fend out a number of times this weekend. Who do you practice that on at training? <laughs> um, Portia. <push her. laughs> because she fends us all in the throat, like you saw against Ireland. So I've got to get it back somehow. But oh, we've got an incredible environment where we let everyone express their tire haas or their strength, um, and to be able to do that as a unit on the field and put it all together like that just feels absolutely amazing. Ten tries this weekend, three in the final. Was it all those chocolates that you stole from Niall Williams? Yeah, so um, PIC, if you're listening to this right now, bring more treats to tournaments. Thank you. Um, But, yeah, again, I just love being able to express myself on the field. My teammates allow me to do that, and we're able to get wins like this, which is great.
0: Cardinal Sin Smithy, make sure you bring enough treats for the team. Yeah, well, that's uh,
3: never really focused uh, on the treats in the dressing room uh, from my point of view. Logan it was always just about the business at hand. How about this from uh, you know, Greg Martin? Of course, remember uh, Greg Martin, Marto was always part of the uh, commentary team with Fox, and uh, he's been on for a long period of time. Out of a, a real crack at Dave Rennie um, just recently saying. Um, he described the Kiwi as having the personality of a chair. The personality of a chair. Uh, Rennie, of course, uh, Dave Rennie, being sacked eight months out from the World Cup, Martin, a rugby pundit with the Fox, and a top-rating Brisbane radio host has hailed the move, seeing it as a breathing new life into rugby's struggles across the Tasman. Uh, Dave Rennie, quote, had the personality of a chair, and he had the results that were the worst by any Wallaby coach. He was a Kiwi, he didn't really care, he was taking a pay slip, mate. That's the bottom line. Pretty harsh words. So you've got to have a bloke from your own country coaching your country, otherwise it doesn't work. So uh, what do you make of those comments? It's a
0: uh, a sort of a, a hard-hitting drive at um, at Dave Rennie. Shall we uh, introduce him to one Stephen Donald? Because those are fighting words, and they're not what I would use to describe Dave Rennie. There's no way he didn't care about the role. There's no way. No. There's no way he didn't care
3: about the role. Of course, he cared about the role. Um, you know, the, pride as a coach, uh, I think, would have uh, pretty much summed that up. I mean, he's a he prides uh, himself on a great record. We know that he's uh, got better than a personality of a chair, uh, and that is just uh, Mardo sounding off. So, um, I don't know if they got him in a bad time or uh, whether he'd had a couple. I'm not sure, but that that certainly is. Um, it's it's pretty scathing stuff. Uh, Look, um, more considered opinions, uh, particularly on this show um, and uh, the one that follows it, um, are uh, responsible to uh, one Mark Stafford. Now, of course, Stafford has been away, uh, like most of us, had a bit of a Christmas holiday, a New Year's break as well, but he's back in the chair uh, this afternoon. Uh, So we shall catch up with Mark Stafford, see what he's been up to and see what he's got on the show very shortly.